With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Ray Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. A warmer from the hello, welcome to Love Las Vegas, the baseball betting podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson, now part of Bucket Sports, Bucket Sports, doing an absolutely amazing job giving you an app that allows you to track a little bit of everything when it comes to your action, but more importantly than that, you're able to engage with others in a fun, friendly environment, posting up photos and videos when it comes to corresponding with your bets, and you're able to follow all that Bucket Sports does on Twitter at Bucket HQ, and you're able to download the app for both your iPhone along with your Android. In the second segment, we're going to have a fun chat with Kyle Condor. I know that it has been very interesting the year that the New York Yankees have had, and I still feel like with the Yankees, the biggest concern that you have with this team is their starting rotation. So let's bring in someone from John Boy Media, someone that very closely follows the New York Yankees in Kyle to talk about that. We're going to be talking about the big win that they wound up having on Sunday coming from behind with the Tampa Bay Rays as well. I'm looking forward to Monday as it looks like it's going to be Robbie Ray versus Garrett Cole in that game. And then in the final segment, going to give you guys a side total and analysis on every game on the Monday MLB betting board as we touch them all first things first. I always love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast, and you got one of two ways to be able to fire those in. My Twitter timeline at jrscordy1. Keep in mind those letters DM to me mean does not matter. The other way to be able to engage with this podcast is find an Apple Podcast view. If you rate this podcast five stars, 
it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send in your questions, comments, segment ideas, whatever you have into there. And I did not wind up getting in any Twitter questions today, but we did have a very fun day of baseball on Sunday. Unless if you wind up taking the Atlanta Braves. So let's get into that. Let's try to find some trends and let's try to get to know these teams a little bit better. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. Controversy in Atlanta in the Sunday night baseball game as things were tied at 6-6 in the ninth inning. It was a sacrifice fly that drove in Alec Baum to be able to give the Phillies a 7-6 win. But now without controversy, it is very clear that Alec Baum wound up sliding into home but never actually touched home. And it was still called safe, so there was that. But if you take a look at this game, you had a trio of guys for the Philadelphia Phillies all collect their second home run the campaign. Bryce Harper, D.D. Gregorius, and Reese Hoskins. Hoskins and also Gregorius wind up going deep off of Drew Smiley, who wound up not necessarily having a great game in this one. He gives up five runs over the course of five innings, and then Nate Jones wound up serving up another home run. And I will say this for the Atlanta Braves, Will Smith got a little bit jiggy with it as he wound up along that sacrifice fly, but for the Atlanta Braves, they also had a trio of home runs. Freddie Freeman and Ronald Acuna Jr. both to get their fourth home run in the campaign, and then Ozzie Albies is able to get his first as it was just home run derby in this one for the Atlanta Braves. They didn't wind up leaving too many men on base, and for the Phillies, they left one men on base. As for the Philadelphia Phillies, Matt Moore, you're going to need more out of him. He winds up giving up five runs over the course of five innings, but I will say this. Bullpen for the Philadelphia Phillies gives up one run over the course of four innings. Sam Coonrod winds up giving up a run. That was really the lone one, so... They did a great job of being able to hold it down there. The Milwaukee Brewers, they held it down in St. Louis. They jumped out to a 7-0 lead on the St. Louis Cardinals on Mr. Daniel Ponce de Leon and did not look back. 9-3 the final. In this one, you have Brett Anderson give up one run over the course of five innings. Not a hard tosser, only one strikeout in him. And for the Brewers team in general, their pitching staff regarded three strikeouts, but for the Milwaukee Brewers, you also had a trio of home runs in this one. You had Mr. Manny Pino being able to get his first home run of the campaign, and then Avi Sale Garcia and Travis Shaw both collect their second as Mr. Ponce de Leon wound up giving up two of those home runs. Genesis Cabrera at the bullpen gives up the other one as Cabrera gives up two runs, one of which was earned over the course of an inning. Ponce de Leon gave up all the other seven, and I will say this. You don't miss with the Johan Oviedo. Very good out of the bullpen for the St. Louis Cardinals. Four and two-thirds innings. He gives up two hits, no earned runs. He might be in line for a start. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, they go two of eight with men in scoring position, so just not their weekend in this one. It certainly was not the weekend of the Baltimore Orioles as they wind up getting swept by the all of a sudden surging Boston Red Sox. I was ready to bury this team after they started 0-3. They've now won six straight, so credit to them and credit to myself for admitting that I overreacted on this team. 14-9 the final. Obviously, it's still early in the season, but J.D. Martinez looking like he's bounced back a little bit. Not one, not two, but three home runs for him. Rafael Devers. Not just one, but two jacks for him. And then you had Alex Verdugo being able to get his first home run the campaign. Now for the Boston Red Sox, bullpen is still an issue for this team. Austin Bryce records two outs, but he gives up three runs. Phillips Valdez gives up two runs off the pen as well. You wind up having Hurries Kazu Soamura give up nothing in one and a third innings. And for Nick Pavetta, he does eat six innings, but he does give up four runs in the process. But he was a lot, a lot better than Ore Lopez, who gives up seven runs over the course of four innings. And then from there... How about this? In one inning, you wound up having a reliever that I don't even know for the Baltimore Orioles as his ESPN page is not pulling up. Scholar give up three runs in an inning, so that's not good. And then from there, you wind up having 
a performance of Sean Armstrong that did not live up to expectations. He records two outs, giving up three runs, two of which were earned. Tyler Wells, he also gives up just one run, but that was in two and a third innings. And for the Baltimore Orioles, Trey Boomba Mancini, his second home run the campaign, and Mikel Franco winds up getting his first. So that was a very easy over. For the Pittsburgh Pirates, they were able to give you an easy win for your bankroll. 7-1 the final. Trevor Williams in his first start back at Pittsburgh ever since he wound up leaving that organization. Well, didn't go so well. Three and a third innings. He gives up five runs, all of which weren't. I will say for the bullpen, not necessarily too bad. Ryan Tapera does give up two runs in an inning, but Rex Brothers, along Dan Winkler and Jason Adams, they all wind up going a combined three and two-thirds innings, not giving up a single run. For Javi Bias, he gets his third home run of the campaign. That came off of JT Burbaker. That was the only run that he gave up. And by the way, for Bias, only player on the Cubs that's right now hitting above a 240, and he's at a 242. Meanwhile, for the Pittsburgh Pirates, you were able to get one home run in this one, so they were able to play a little bit of, I guess you could call it station-to-station baseball as Wilmer Defoe wound up getting that home run. 11 men left on base by the Pittsburgh Pirates, but Burbaker was able to do a solid job with his start, giving up one run in five and a third innings, and then from there, Chris Stratton, Sam Howard, Kyle Craig, and a little bit of a newer reliever in David Bednar were able to come in, and they were able to close the door from there. For the Cleveland Indians, they've got one of the better relief staffs out there in baseball. 5-2, to two, they take down the Detroit Tigers, and for Jose Yorenya, he was very lucky that things were not worse than what they were. Four and two-thirds innings, he gives up two runs, but he issued five blocks. It now looks sharp in this one. Jose Cicerno gives up two runs in an inning. Daniel Norris, one and third innings, he gives up a run. And for the Detroit Tigers, right now, Wilson Ramos has been the bright spot for the team. He goes deep off of Nick Wickren for his fourth home run of the season for Wickren. He gives up that one run. He's been off to a little bit of a rough start to begin the year. But Logan Allen, he had a good start in this one. Did walk three, but gave up one run over the course of five innings. And then Brian Shaw was able to come in for a scoreless inning. Emmanuel Clase was able to come in. He was able to close the door, and then you were able to get a solid ending out of James Karinczak as for the Cleveland Indians. They did wind up going 3 of 11 with runners in scoring position, and all of a sudden, offense has been able to get online for the Cleveland Indians, scoring five runs in this one. They have now been able to score at least four runs in each out of their last four games, and five out of their last six. So, encouraging signs out there. Encouraging signs for the New York Yankees. We're going to be talking with our good buddy Kyle Condor in the second segment about this, but they wind up getting down early against the Tampa Bay Rays, but they're able to claw their way back 8-4. to four, They win in 10 innings now. There were some very, very controversial calls in this one. It looked like Renato Dora was going to get punched out, and then instead there winds up being a four-run outburst in the 10th inning. That's beside the point, though, but for the New York Yankees, you are shell. Big game in this one. Four of five, including a home run, his first of the season. That came off of Michael Walker, and we're going to use the dying Pac-Man voice to describe Michael Walker. Walker, 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 Walker. He gives up three runs over the course of four innings as he came in after Brent Honeywell Jr. was pretty much the opener. He gives up nothing in two innings. He looked very solid. And then from there, the bullpen, other than Colin McHugh in that 10th inning, was able to hold down the fort before the Tampa Bay race. Pair of home runs in this one. Randy Orozarena along with Mike Zanino both get their second home run in the campaign that comes off of Jordan Montgomery. And for the Yankees, starting rotation is a big issue. Montgomery gives up those two home runs, four runs total over the course of five innings. But if you're looking for something very good with this team, the bullpen. Darren O'Day, Chad Green, they combine for three scoreless innings. Araldis Chapman comes in with a scoreless inning, and so does Alberto Pereira to be able to get the W there. The New York Post play of the day, the Kansas City Royals, they get there against the Chicago White Sox, 4-3 the final. If you want to be having the over in this one, man, 
Not a lot of things I could say to be able to help you out in this one because with the Kansas City Royals, they were caught stealing three times and they were also the victims of a pickoff as well. So that was not necessarily too terrific. So they've left some players out there. And for Mike Miner, he evaded a lot of danger in this one. He winds going four innings, walks three, gives up four hits, and he gives up one run. Really, Jesse Hahn was the only person that gave anything up for the Royals. Did not record it out. Gave up a home run to Adam Eaton a second of the campaign, but for the White Sox. 1 of 15 with runners in scoring position. They strained 12 on base. For Dylan Cease, he actually had a decent start in this one. He did give up 4 hits and 3 walks and only gave up 1 run. In my opinion, the luckiest pitcher out there in the big leagues, but he did punch out 6. Michael Kopech looks out of the bullpen. 2 and a third innings of scoreless baseball. Aaron Bummer, though, gives up a run. Liam Hendricks blows a save. And then Garrett Crochet winds up giving up that unearned run in the 10th inning as the Kansas City Royals were able to tie things up in the 9th with a home run off of Mr. Liam Hendricks. That would be by Carlos Santana. That was his first. As the Royals are now 4-3 and three themselves, by the way, so that's been very solid. What was that solid? The Minnesota Twins, if you wound up having them, as they yacked up a 6-0 lead to lose by a count of 8-6. For Kyle Seeger, a tremendous save for him. He goes deep off of Matt Shoemaker for his first home run on the campaign, and then he gets his second later on in the game out of Alex Colome. So he had himself a nice day with four RBI. And how about what you're getting out of this young prospect in Mr. Taylor Trammell? Second straight day in which he's able to get a home run for the Minnesota Twins. Shoemaker gives up a pair of home runs, giving up four runs in total over the course of five innings. Cody Sashek comes out of the bullpen, and he gives up a run, and Alex Colme, not looking good out of the Twins' bullpen right now, gives up three runs over the course of a third of an inning. He takes a loss in this one, and for the Minnesota Twins, Byron Buxton. He's looking like an MVP candidate very, very, very early. He winds up being able to get four RBI, three or four at the plate. His fifth home run of the campaign, that was off of Chris Flexen, who comes over from the KBO, looks solid in his first start, and this one not so much, gives up six runs, five of which were earned over the course of five innings, but four... Innings from the Seattle Mariners bullpen, not as much as a hit. Give it up. Will Vest along Drew Steckenrider and Rafael Montero were able to close the door and the Seattle Mariners get the W from there. The San Diego Padres talk about good bullpens. Their bullpen ERA is hovering right around like a 1-3 right now. They wind up taking down the Texas Rangers by a count of 2-0. In this one, Adrian Morajon left after facing three batters. He walked one. He was able to get two outs. Craig Stammen has to come in for three and a third innings. Taylor Williams comes in for one and a third. Tim Hill gets two outs. And then from there, Emilio Pagan, Mark Melanson, and Austin Adams give you a scoreless inning. And for the San Diego Padres, pair of solo home runs in this one. One came off of Ian Kennedy by Manny Machado, his second of the campaign, and Trent Grisham goes deep off of Mike Fultonavich for the Texas Rangers. Ten men left on base, 0 of 6 with runners in scoring position. Bad, 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 but if you're looking for a good sign, Mike Fultonavich, who looked terrible in spring training, looked terrible in his first start, looked good here. He did give up one of those home runs, but seven innings pitch, gives up two hits, one run, you can't expect much more out of him. And then from there, Kyle Cody and Ian Kennedy come in for an inning apiece. Kennedy gave up that home run, but by and large, this was just the Texas Rangers being unable to get the job done. And for the San Diego Padres, aside from opening day in which you had that one inning in which the Arizona Diamondbacks had like four home runs in an inning, they have been giving up close to nothing as they have given up three runs or fewer in all but one of their games ever since then. And that other game was four runs in which they gave up against the Texas Rangers. So they've given up four runs or fewer. And now each out of their last nine games, the San Francisco Giants have been doing a good job with their pitching as well. 4-0. They wind up taking down the Colorado Rockies for the Rockies. 
they wind up stranding 12 men on base. And that was tough for Mr. Herman Marquez, who winds up giving up three runs over the course of five and two-thirds innings. Cesar Estevez gives up a run out of the bullpen, but for the San Francisco Giants, Anthony D. Scalfani did a good job of evading danger. He gives up six hits in six innings, but punched out eight, did not give up a single run. And then from there, Juani Peralta, Tyler Rogers, Jose Alvarado, they were able to give you three solid clean innings. Alvarez was able to evade the fact that he gave up two hits, but no damage done. And for the San Francisco Giants, Austin Dickerson, his second home run the campaign, Brandon Belt is first. So they were able to get the job done there. And the LA Dodgers out there on the West Coast were able to get the job done against Van Max Scherzer, 3-0 the final. And for Scherzer, he looked better in this one. You can tell that his velocity is down, so that's a little bit of a concern, but six innings pitch, he gave up one run. I don't know what else you really want out of him. Tanner Rainey, he winds up giving up two runs in an inning as Zach McKinstry, young prospect for the Dodgers, his second home run the season, he goes deep off of Rainey, had all three RBI for the Dodgers, and he now has 10, so He's been terrific. Clayton Kershaw, he was just more terrific. Six strikeouts in six innings. He did give up five hits, but he was able to evade danger. Corey Knable, Blake trying Kenley Jansen from there, able to close the door. And Jansen looked very solid in his save opportunity and for the Nationals. 0-7 with runners in scoring position. One of the big bugaboos that they wound up having last season is rearing its ugly head. And for the Washington Nationals, once again, an all-or-nothing team. They have now played six games so far this season. They have scored five-plus runs in three of those games. They have scored, I believe it is, zero or one runs in the other three. So it just don't know what you're going to get there. And for the Reds, they were a little bit of nothing after they were giving you everything in their first seven games of the season. First seven games of the season, they scored five plus runs. They have now been held down to three runs in their last two games that they wound up getting blanked yesterday. 7-0 the final against the Arizona Diamondbacks for Mr. Jose De Leon. He winds up going four and a third innings, giving up six runs, all of which were in punch out nine, but gave up two home runs. Going deep for the Arizona Diamondbacks in this one, Eduardo Escobar, his fourth home run the campaign. And then how about what you were able to get out of David Peralta being able to give you his first home run of the season. This is a Arizona team that they're without the Marte Parte right now. Quitel Marte currently dealing with an injury, but Luke Weaver, after he wound up having a rough 2020 season, but actually closed it out strong, he was tremendous. He gives up one hit and one walk over the course of seven innings, no earned runs, and then from there, you're able to get two innings out of Matt Peacock, so that was terrific, and for the Cincinnati Reds, just cooled down in this one. 0-5 with runners in scoring position. Give them credit. Out of the bullpen, they were able to get Carson Fulmer, two clean innings, and Cam Bedrosian, one and two-thirds innings, gives up one run in the process, so that is what we all saw from Major League Baseball on Sunday as we wound up having a suspended game between the Mets and the Marlins and a postponed game between the Angels and the Blue Jays, which was a little bit tough, but what is never tough, being able to talk some Yankees with someone that truly knows a lot about the team. That would be Kyle Condor. Coming up next, we're going to be talking about the win that they had on Sunday. Looking forward to Monday and talking about the American League in general. That's on the other side right here on the Baseball Bang Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson, now forward by Focus Sports. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson, now part of a book of sports. Book of sports doing a great job giving you a little bit of everything when it comes to an app that allows you to track all of your action. But more importantly than that, you're able to engage with others in a fun, friendly environment. And someone that also fosters a fun, friendly environment, that'd be all the good folks over there at John Boy Media. They do a great job of covering not just the New York Yankees, but baseball in general. And Kyle Condor has a lot to do with it. He is a big New York Yankees fan. No if fans or buts about that, but he does a great job covering a little bit of everything. He does a lot of social media with them. You see him on quite a few of their videos. List goes on and on, and you're able to follow Kyle on Twitter 
at Kyle underscore Condor. And Kyle, it is great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, it's always a pleasure, Greg. I appreciate you having me on. As we're just doing this after the Yankees were able to get an 8-4 to win. And just for the people at home, Condor is spelled K-O-N-D-O-R. Always have to make sure that they're searching <laughs> out the right person. Always have to give the proper plug here. But I mean, first things first, with that game that we wound up seeing just now, the Yankees and the Tampa Bay Rays obviously wasn't necessarily the world's greatest start for Jordan Montgomery, but we were talking about it a little bit off air. Really been impressed by this Yankees bullpen. You know that guys like Chad Green, Darren O'Day, Earl Shaman and company are going to be very solid, but I really like what I've seen out of some of the long relievers in general. I still remember Michael King, I think it was about a week or so ago, wound up hurling six scoreless settings out of the bullpen. He's someone that has looked very solid. Jonathan Luizaga as a long reliever has been someone that has been able to give the team a little bit of something as well. I've got my question marks with the starting rotation. I know that Luis Severino is supposed to be coming back soon. As we know, him, Corey Kluber, Jameson Tyon, those guys just staying healthy in general a roll of the dice, but the good news for this team is you've got a lot of guys that are able to come out of the bullpen and not just come out of the bullpen and look solid. They're able to look solid for multiple innings. Yeah, man. I mean, it's just like you said, you've got guys coming out of the bullpen that we're not really sure about. And every single time they shock us, we all know as baseball fans, you see a certain reliever make that entrance to the mound and you're just like, Oh no, like this is going to be a wild ride. And every time we've done that, no matter who it is from Michael King to Albert Abreu was the guy who closed it out for the Yankees. It's been like a shock that they've just mowed guys down. There's only been two of 10 Yankees relievers that have even allowed an earned run this season. It's been Lucas Litke and Nick Nelson. And those are two guys. It's kind of like, okay, we're just asking for you to eat some innings. And everybody else has been lights out. Araldis Chapman has a new splitter that's been ridiculous. He's one of the best relievers of the past decade or so. You could say all you want about him giving things up in the big moments, but he's been incredible. All of his outs so far have been strikeouts. He's pitched three innings, nine outs, nine strikeouts. So he's been incredible. The starting rotation definitely has question marks before the season even started. John Boy and all of us here at the office, we're calling them Garrett Cole and the question marks as if there's some sort of rock band. <laughs> it's been that. I mean, the only one who's been amazing, I mean, he's been amazing. He's been Garrett Cole-esque, is Garrett Cole. Jameson Tyon was okay. Monty was really great. Corey Kluber's been bumpy. Domingo Herman's been kind of rough. Everything about the Yankees starting pitcher has been, starting pitchers has been exactly what we expected. The bullpen's been great. The hitting's been rough. Gary Sanchez has been the best hitter on the team, which is shocking even for people who support him the way that we do. So, yeah, it's kind of all over the place with the Yankees right now, but they've also gotten a little bit unlucky. They're 4-5 and five right now. They're 1-2 and two in extra inning games. And with that new rule, you never really kind of know which way things are going to go. And if the ball bounces in the right direction for the Yankees, they win all three of those, and that makes them 6-3 and three right now. So it's a whole different storyline if they do win those extra inning games that they lost. I agree with you, and the good news is there's 162 games, so nobody should be getting too panicked. Nobody should be feeling too uppity about their team at this point, unless, of course, you're a fan of the Baltimore Orioles, and now it's starting to look (laughs) a little bit bad, as we do have Kyle Condor joining me right here on the podcast. And we take a look at the American League in general. We do know that the Yankees, if they do have a bugaboo team, it is the Tampa Bay Rays. They were able to get a nice win on Sunday, which I think is all the better for this team. But I just feel like it's just sort of up for grabs. The Houston Astros, for one, they're going to be getting booed this year since they didn't mind up getting booed last year. So that's going to be a whole lot of fun. But you take a look at the league in general. You've got a bunch of question 
question marks. You were talking about that with the Yankees starting rotation. I mean, how about the Chicago White Sox? They wind up losing to the Kansas City Royals on Sunday. I feel like they're a team that they're a little bit inconsistent. The Minnesota Twins, I think, are going to be one of the better teams out there in the American League as well. They wind up losing to Chris Flexen and company with the Seattle Mariners on Sunday. You've got a list of teams which you've got a bunch of question marks going on and on. Even, I would say, the Angels and the Blue Jays who wound up doing battle when they weren't rained out in Florida over the weekend. These are teams with some questions. So I take a look at the American League in general, and I would say it's just very wide open and out there for the taking. Yeah, you kind of alluded to it already. It's a little too early for us to go nuts about this team winning, this team losing, the standings and stuff like that, because I can almost guarantee you that even one month from now, it's not going to look anything like it does right now. Before the season started, my big confidence boost as a Yankees fan was that they really didn't have that much competition this year. And going into last season, you wouldn't have said that the Rays were going to be what they were. So you know in baseball that somebody's going to come out of nowhere and be that competition. There's no big, bad Houston Astros anymore. They've looked great, but they don't have the guys that they used to have when they were the big, bad Houston Astros. And you could point the finger at the White Sox, but we're all excited about them. It's still a lot of unproven guys, so you don't really know. Same with teams like the Oakland A's. We were kind of excited about them. They've looked awful so far. The Red Sox have been great. We didn't expect that. So you don't really know yet. We have to still give it like 40 games into the season before you're really like, that's a team to look out for. That's a team that's going to be the Yankees competition. Because the confident Yankee fan in me right now is still saying it's their league for the taking. I would not be shocked if come playoff time, the Yankees aren't the big, bad Yankees. But right now, I'm still pretty confident that they are that team to beat in the American League. And I agree with you there because with the Yankees, we've seen a little bit of a bugaboo with the lineup so far, but you know that these guys are going to hit when it comes down to it. Aaron Hicks, he's a little bit inconsistent naturally. You're not relying upon him to necessarily be carrying the mail, but in Claver Torres, John Carlos San, both of these guys hang below 225 right now. You know that they're going to be there. Rude Andrador, a little bit of a roll of the dice. You don't know yeah. if he's going to pan out or not, but even if he doesn't, you still have a guy like Gio Rochelle, who had a very big game on Sunday going 4 or 5 to be able to bust out. Brett Gardner, he looks like the Brett Gardner of old right now. That's something that is tremendous for this team. I You take a look at it, I feel like so many people have forgotten that Luke Floyd is right now on the injured list. He pretty much led the league in home runs last season. So mm-hmm. you've got plenty of firepower with the New York Yankees. I just feel like if they're able to get a little bit of pitching, if they're able to get something behind Garrett Cole, they're going to be just fine because you know that these bats, as long as they stay healthy, they're going to be there. They're going to be mashing when it comes playoff time. That's exactly what it is. Again, can't get too crazy about statistics right now. But when you see a guy like Gary Sanchez producing, you're allowed to be at least a little bit excited because he was – I mean, just got awful last year and pretty bad the years before that, too. So when you see a guy like that hitting, it's like, okay, time to get a little bit excited. When you see a guy like Giancarlo Stanton struggling or a Glaber Torres who's gotten the hits, he's they're just the, the cumulative stats are not that great. You see guys like that struggling, you don't get too down in the dumps. You know they're going to come around. So you're allowed to freak out about things. We're baseball fans. There's a lot of highs and lows involved in being a baseball fan. I actually just sent out a post saying exactly that from our <laughs> Talking Yanks Twitter account. But you just you're in it because you're a baseball fan and you want to get excited about things. But right now it's way too early to be like, this is going to be a down year for Aaron Hicks because he's still walking and he's still working counts. It's just he's been bad in big spots. So that stuff is escalated in our minds more than like the 
bases loaded walk he had the other day. That was an RBI. Or the one game he got an RBI on a single that went off of a diving shortstop's glove. Like those aren't plays you remember because they're not like massive hits or like rocket singles. But that's the type of stuff that Aaron Hicks gives you. Now, don't get me wrong. He's been pretty bad, but you don't get too down in the dumps about it right now. And you, I feel like the mindset of a fan needs to change a little bit as well because we all remember the 60-game season last year. If a guy winds up having two bad weeks, that can really put you behind the eight ball. Mm-hmm. This year with 162 games, you're going to have a guy that's going to have the highs of highs for like 10 games. You're going to have a guy that's in pretty much a baseball ditch for 10 games, and it's all about what happens in between. And hey, if you need someone to get right against, it looks like for the Toronto Blue Jays on Monday when the Yankees take on the Blue Jays, it's going to be Robbie Ray, someone who, well, let's face it, he has not necessarily been the world's most terrific pitcher at being able to throw strikes. I still remember when he got traded to the Toronto, I guess you could call it now the Dunedin, Florida Blue Jays at this point. He just was not necessarily too terrific. A guy that had like a 1.5, 1.6 strikeout to walk rate and This is always a good confidence booster for teams because while Robbie Ray is going to strike out a lot of guys, he's going to give up a bunch of home runs. He's going to give up a bunch of walks. And if you're a lineup, these are the sorts of guys that you want to be able to face off against because it's going to help out your on base. As you mentioned, there are a lot of plays that they do go a little bit under the radar, but just being able to not create it out, keep the line moving. I think that that's just so important this day and age of baseball. It sometimes gets forgotten about by so many people. The Blue Jays are that team that I'm still kind of worried about. In the American League East, like if I had to pick one that's going to be neck and neck with the Yankees at the end of the season, I'm still saying it's going to be the Blue Jays. But the one thing about them is that pitching. I mean, who do they have like that you can Ross really count <laughs> Yeah, like the Ross Striplings. I know they're relying on some younger guys and stuff like that. Kirby Yates was supposed to be their closer. He's out now. It's really Ryu. And even Ryu's career has been at least a little bit inconsistent. He's had years where he's looked like a Cy Young. He's had years where he's looked like a number three, number four pitcher in a starting rotation. So the Blue Jays have a lot to be excited about. Wouldn't surprise me. Again, I keep saying wouldn't surprise me if, and it's because it's April. Things can happen in baseball. But it wouldn't surprise me if one of their guys came out and ended up being pretty good. But that is the thing with the Blue Jays. And every series the Yankees are going to have against them this season, you're going to enter it. Look at the starting pitching matchups. Like the Yankees have Garrett Cole going. We're thrilled because he's going up against Robbie Ray. The list goes on and on. You look at the Blue Jays' starting pitchers coming up in the series, and you're just kind of like, okay, the Yankees should at least take two or three in that one. But the Blue Jays beat the Yankees in the season opening series. So that's baseball. It certainly is. And I was seeing a little bit earlier Hunjin Ru. And when you see Robbie Ray instead of Ryu, that is something that is always a very, very good break as well. So always heartening to have that. And Kyle, when you just take a look at the first two or so weeks of the season in general, are there any other big takeaways that you've noticed? It could be Yankees base. It could be teams out there in the National League, American League, what have you. Because I do think that it is so fascinating what we've seen so far this season. Because you do mention the X-Rating rules still being there. I'm someone that I'm from the state of Wisconsin, so I follow the Milwaukee Brewers closely. And I've just noticed that the National League game in general has been a little bit ugly. You've seen a bunch of unders. A lot of these teams are out there in the Midwest, so it's a little bit harder to hit in those conditions in general. And I am noticing that there is a little bit of a divide between the National League and the American League when it comes to a lot of these offenses that aren't in the state of California. So I'm looking at you, Dodgers and Padres, but I take a look at it and I am noticing that the NL has become a little bit more of a pitcher-friendly game once again. Meanwhile, the American League is much like we've seen the last couple of years. Yeah, for me, it's less about that extra innings rule 
And the fact that they kept that and got rid of, for example, the universal DH. Like, if you're going to keep something, give me the universal DH and not the extra innings rule. But if you're going to keep the extra innings rule, give me both. Like, just take all the stuff that you thought was fun from last year. There's no way somebody watched last season and was like, yes, we need pitchers hitting again in this league. (laughs) It's less about the extra innings rule because, like, sometimes I'm watching – two teams I don't root for. Like the other night I was watching Diamondbacks Rockies and like that game could very well be a doozy, but you put the runner on second base and you kind of escalate things a little bit or accelerate, you know, that, that boring, potentially boring extra inning. And I even say I'm a diehard baseball fan as big as anybody, but there are some times where I look at that extra innings rule and I don't hate it. Now, if I had to vote, I'm still saying don't do that rule or give me that rule and the DH. So that's my big takeaway on that because you brought that up. I wasn't going to. My other thing is you look at teams with win streaks right now. That's the fun thing to do in April, and it's the Red Sox, and the Reds were hot there for a little bit. They're getting smoked by the Diamondbacks. They lost last night. So it's going to be a little bit disappointing when a fun team like the Reds comes back down to earth, but I think they're going to. The Red Sox, I was saying before the season, it would not shock me if they're one of those teams in the mix as potentially being a wild card. In the American League, I could very well see that happening, and they're kind of proving why. But I also think they're going to come back down to earth a little bit. The Yankees will get their shot at the Red Sox, and I think they'll take care of them. It's new rules at the beginning of a season. Obviously, this one's probably a crazier new rule than anything we've had in recent history. And teams that have win streaks, but the teams that have win streaks right now are not teams that I will expect to continue that throughout the season. I agree with you. I do think that it is so fun to be looking at so many of these teams. Like, I still remember a couple of years ago, it was like, oh, the Tigers, after 25 games, are like 12 and 13. Could they perhaps make a run? And then they wound up being one of the worst teams in the history of baseball. So, yeah. hope springs eternal this time of year. And, Kyle, you do an absolutely terrific job. You do some social media. You do some videos. You do <laughs> some posts. You're a man that, to use a baseball term, you're a five-tool contributor when it comes to John Boy Media. I think that's the best way of being able to put it. So let the good people know know they're able to follow you on social media, just what you're all doing in general. So we're doing kind of everything as it pertains to Major League Baseball right now. I'm sure everybody's seen that we brought on Chris Rose and Ian Hat show and then a show with Peter Moylan and Kelsey Winger down in Bravesland and stuff like that. So we're kind of just trying to expand within Major League Baseball right now. And me specifically, I'm overseeing the whole social media operation at John Boy Media. So I run the John Boy Media channel, the Talking Yanks channel, the Talking Baseball channel. But we've brought on editors who work alongside me that are now running the Rose Rotation channels and the Farm to Fame channels and the Compound channels. We're sort of all just trying to keep things on brand across the board and just kind of bring the fun aspects of baseball to baseball fans and grow the game and introduce it to kids while also being mindful of the fact that the audience still has an older audience and things like that. So we're kind of just trying to do it all here. And of course, John Boy's leading the way. He is amazing at what he does. And even within the walls of John Boy, we're not afraid to tell him that regularly. (laughs) Absolutely. And it's been really good to see just the growth in general of the network the past, I would say, Two and a half years, I think that's a fair timeline to be able to put it all started back when you had the Aaron Boone situation, guys going crazy out there 
in the clubhouse and you were just able to get unprecedented access to these players, what they're actually like during games, which is absolutely tremendous. You guys have teamed up with so many guys that have played the game as well to be able to get some unparalleled insight as to that. So there's just some tremendous things going on at John Boy Media and Kyle's a big part of it. So big thanks to Kyle Gondor for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. I'm powered by Book Sports and coming up next. It's that time podcast they give you a signed turtle on every game on the Monday MLB betting board as we touch them all. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. We're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson, now part of Book Sports, Book Sports. An incredible app that allows you to track all of your action. And they've teamed up with so many great podcasts to be able to give you just a little bit of everything to help out your sports knowledge in general. Obviously, you've got this podcast and then my college basketball podcast, Hooping with Hoops, which, despite the fact that we're in the offseason, that is still continuing on. Prop Tales with Olivia Moody. First, she takes a look at player props every single day, and then she makes up some alcoholic beverages with it. You've got my man, Jeff Parles, doing the Parlay cast. And then you've got Passing the Spread, two podcasts that... Cover a wide variety of different sports. Then you've got Betting the Highline with Tom Viola. That's a little bit more of a soccer betting podcast. So, got a lot of great work being done there. Got a lot of great work being done by Kyle Condor over there at John Boy Media. So, big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you a sign total on every game on the Monday MOB betting board as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenScordy1. As per usual, we are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is just where we wind up going National League first, then the American League from there, and then we've got the interleague games that are going to be at the very bottom, and there's only one of those, so that makes things nice and easy. And then you've also got time order when it comes to National League and American League as well. So we do begin with 901-902 on the betting board. The San Diego Padres are going to be taking on the Pittsburgh Pirates. Trevor Cahill goes to the bump for the Buccos. Meanwhile, you Darvish going to be taking the hill for the San Diego Padres. Padres, a massive favorite here. Anywhere between minus 210 and minus 235. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Buccos, you're going to be getting anywhere between plus 192 and plus 208. Your total is anywhere between 8 and 8.5. On the 8.5, the under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125. The over is anywhere between plus 105 and minus 105. And then on the 8th, you've got your over anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even and minus 110. This is a line in which I made the total 7.3, so I am seeing quite a bit of value here on the under because whichever Kale did get off to a little bit of a rough start to begin the year, but he is someone that he's able to give you a little bit of swing and miss. He was able to have a nice year last year when he was out there with the San Francisco Giants. Now, first start of the year, seven runs given up in four innings. Not necessarily ideal against a Cincinnati Reds team that they are actually quite good, so I do give them that, and Kale throughout his career has had a couple walks issues, but we've noticed it with the Padres as well. This has become very much an under team recently. You take a look at them, they have scored three runs or fewer in, I believe now, six out of their last seven games. It might be five out of their last six, but they certainly have been doing it via defense. Now, you do have Trent Kirschman back in the fold. He, along with Jerickson, Profar, Eric Cosmer, Will Myers, Jay Cronenworth, all guys hitting 
a 300 better, but Tommy Pham, ever since he won getting into San Diego, he hasn't necessarily done a lot. Hassan Kim, who's right now filling in for Fernando Tatis Jr., this guy that actually gets on base, has not necessarily been able to give you a ton when it comes to batting average. And keep in mind for the Padres, this is a bullpen that they really got text. Adrian Motajon was pretty much used in a bullpen game yesterday, so guys like Emilio Pagan and company might not be able to give you too much in this one, so you're going to be really reliant upon Darvish, who has a little bit of familiarity with the Pirates, and this is the guy that wanted to begin the year with a little bit of a rough start in the first one, and then in the last start that he wound up having, he looked very solid. As you take a look at him against the Giants, six strong innings, giving up one run in the process, but with the Pirates, you have been able to notice that this offense has gotten online as well. A combined 15 runs in the last two games. Cabrian Hayes is still going to be on the fold for this team, but Phil Evans hitting a 393. He's been able to give this team quite a bit of something. You've been able to get a little bit out of Jacob Sellings out the catcher spot as well. He called Moran, Brian Reynolds, all hitting above a 270 for this team. And with the Pirates, I won't go out there and say that the bullpen is tremendous or anything like that, but it certainly is far from awful. Someone like Sam Howard is able to give you a couple solid innings. Michael Felice, Kyle Crick, these guys are able to come in. They're able to hold down the fort. Now, should the Padres be a favorite? And in my opinion, a pretty sizable favorite here. Yes, but I think that we've gotten a little bit too far out of whack. At 173 or more, I was willing to take a shot here on the Pirates. Getting north of $2, that's appealing to me. So we're going to be taking the Buckos in the spot, and I'm going to be taking this total under as well. 903-904 on the betting board. The New York Metropolitans are going to be playing on the Philadelphia Phillies. Chase Anderson is going to be going for the Phillies. Meanwhile, David Peterson, no relation, is going to be going for the Metropolitans. If you like the Mets, it will be minus 133 and minus 141 is what you're looking at here. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the plus price here with the Phillies, as anywhere between plus 122 and plus 130 with your total on this game, 8.5. Over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even a minus 105. Chase Anderson is a familiar face in a new place. He has bounced around quite a few years ever since he wanted to begin his career with the Milwaukee Brewers. And so far, not great, not terrible. In his first start of the season, he was able to give the team five solid innings, gave up two runs in the process. He's never really going to be a guy that is going to be over flashy, but he's also not going to be a guy that winds up being the server at a restaurant and he spills a soup or anything like that as well. He's just sort of meh. They did upgrade their bullpen. Now, they still have some question marks. A guy like an Hector Neris, still not necessarily the world's greatest arm, but David Ayo, Brandon Kitzler, these guys are able to get their job done. Hey, take a look at the Philadelphia Phillies. Overall, this is a very solid lineup. Andrew McCutcheon is back in the fold. as not necessarily had the world's greatest start to the year, but you do have a guy in Reese Hoskins who looks much better than last season. JT Riamito has come out. He's been solid. You've got Gene Segura, Didi Gregorius, a company in the infield, so I do like these guys. Then you take a look at the flip side and the Mets are a team that they're very inconsistent with the bats and it seems like their worst comes out whenever Jacob DeGrom is on the mound. So David Peterson should be able to get some run support in this one. Pete Alonso has been able to do a solid job of getting on base. Hitting just a 211 but a 348 on base and that really seems to be the MO for the Mets right now. 222 team batting average but a 333 on base. So they're finding ways on. Brandon Nemo has been able to do a good job of being able to hit for some average at 412. Dom Smith is someone that I really like as well. But for the Mets, only three home runs so far this year. That has been a little bit of a hamper for this team. For David Peterson, he wound up having a bad start to begin the year. Winds up giving up six runs over the course of four innings, two home runs in the process. So that is something that is a little bit unsightly, but I do feel like this is a little bit of an out-of-whack line with the Philadelphia Phillies. I do recognize that the Mets, they certainly do have their concerns out there in the bullpen. I'm looking at you, Jersich Familia, Spanish for blown save, Edwin Diaz and company, but I do think that Peterson is going to come out. He's going to be able to give this team a nice start at home. But the concern is that that there's going to be a bunch of guys for the Mets that wind up getting on base. They're not going to be able to drive them in. 
I just feel like this is a line that is way out of whack. I felt like the Phillies should have been the slightest of slight favorites in this spot, so I'm going to wind up taking the plus price here with the Philadelphia Phillies, as I do like their consistency in the lineup a little bit more. And with the total, I did set it at 8.3, because I do think that both of these starters are going to be able to give you something solid, so that's why I'm going to be looking at the under. I just think that this could be a situation in which it's like 3-3 going into the ninth inning, and then the Mets bullpen does what the Mets bullpen does and blows it. So we're going to be taking the Phillies with the plus price, and we're going to be taking this total under as well. 905-906 on the betting board. You've got the Miami Marlins sitting the road face off against the Atlanta Braves. Uscari Noah is going to be going for the Bravos. Meanwhile, you've got Sandy Alicantro is going to be going for the Marlins. Marlins are finding themselves underdogs of anywhere between plus 133 and seeing his eyes a plus 138. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Atlanta Braves, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 145 and a minus 157 with your total at 8.5. With the 8.5 over and under anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115 with Yanoa. This is someone that I actually think is developing and developing quite well. Now, the Atlanta Braves wound up playing in the primetime game yesterday with the Philadelphia Phillies, so sometimes that can hamper teams like this. I don't think it's going to do so for the Philadelphia Phillies since it was more of a 4.05 p.m. Pacific start, and it's now being followed up by a little bit more of a night game, and the same goes for the Atlanta Braves, but what I think is going to be very interesting is that you've got an Atlanta Braves team that has been able to generate a little bit more offense recently ever since their first series of the campaign, and when you take a look at what you're able to get out of the Atlanta Braves, Ronald Acuna Jr. has been tremendous for the team, hitting a 406. You've got a couple guys that they need to pick it up, entering into last night, Ozzy Albies, Zanzi Swanson, Marcel Ozuna, along with Freddie Freeman, Austin Riley, Kyle Limbache, and Ender Enciarte. I know that that's a long list, all hitting a 200 or lower, but Travis Arnaud has actually been a nice concept for the team, and when you take a look at the Atlanta Braves, they do have some very good bullpen depth. Guys like Grant Dayton, Luke Jackson, Tyler Mazek, A.J. Minter, all able to give you solid innings. Meanwhile, for the Miami Marlins, Emi Garcia has been able to give you a little bit of something out of the bullpen, and for El Contra, he has been able to do a very solid job in recent years. Wasn't necessarily a swing and miss guy coming up, but 17 strikeouts to 12 innings so far this year. That is something that you do like from. He gives up for his career I would say about 1.1 home runs per nine innings. So he's able to do a nice job of being able to hold down the fort. Always gives you some very solid innings, which is something that the Marlins could use, though. The good news is, because of what happened yesterday, they didn't wind up really using up too many of their players in general. But you do take a look at this Marlins team. They are one in which are struggling a little bit with the bats. You've got Brett Anderson, Adam Duvall, along Jace Chislam, all leading a 200 or worse for this team. And I will say, the Marte Parte of Starling Marte, hitting well above a 300. He's been able to do his job. Jesus Aguiar doing a nice job of reaching base. And Miguel Rojas hitting right around 269. But as a collective, this is a Marlins team that they are hitting at 213 because of the way that Miami is set up. They've only got three home runs so far this season. So that has been a little bit of a bugaboo for them. I do think that this is going to be a game of which these guys could be able to bust out a little bit more because they are going to be playing in a little bit more hitter-friendly ballpark. And with you know, he's going to put guys on base. He has issued 15 walks and 30 and a third career innings. His whip is hovering right around a 1-5-ish, so I don't think that he's necessarily going to be too long for this game. And with the Atlanta Braves having played a little bit late, I do think that this could be a spot in which it's a little bit more of a detriment to them. So anything above plus 129 was going to be a take here on the Miami Marlins for me, so I'm going to be taking that plus price. I also set this total at 9.1. I do think that the Braves are going to be able to generate some offense. I think that the Marlins are going to be able to bust out as well. So taking the plus price here with the fish, and I'm going to be taking this total over 9 7908 on the bang board. My New York Post play of the day has it's the Milwaukee Brewers, and they're going to be taking on the Chicago Cubs. Edbear Alzole is going to be going for the Cubbies. Meanwhile, Freddie Peralta is on the bump for the Brewers. Brewers are finding themselves 
A sizable favorite here, anywhere between minus 141 and minus 150, seeing a 136 out there as well. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Cubs, anywhere between plus 124 and plus 134 is what you're finding on them. And your total on this game, ranging between 8 and 8.5. And on the 8, over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even and minus 110. On the 8.5, under is minus 120. And the over is even with the Chicago Cubs. No question, it's been a little bit of a rough go of it to begin the year for this team. They're hitting below the Mendoza line of 200 as a collective. And for the Milwaukee, it has also been a little bit of a trial by fire for this team as well, but they have been able to bust out the past 48 hours in St. Louis, so that is something that has been very good for them. You take a look at the Brewers, so Kessinira is still a guy that's sitting below 200. Now, you have been able to get quite a bit more of something out of Christian Yelich than you were able to last season. You figured that he was going to be able to come along for the ride, but you take a look at what you're getting out of Freddy Peralta as well. He has been terrific at being able to strike out batters in seven innings between a start and a long relief appearance, 14 punch-outs, but I will say this as well. He has also given up seven walks in the time span. He has a lifetime 522 ERA as a starter as well as as a reliever. He's actually been able to do a much better job. Ed Barrel Zole is someone that is coming off not necessarily the world's greatest start as he winds up giving up four runs in his first start of the season going five innings against the same Brewers team on Tuesday which is not terrific. But both these teams are striking out at about 29% of their plate appearances. So I do think that this is a spot in which you're going to be seeing a lot of swing and miss. Zole, I do feel like as good stuff, but with Peralta, his walks issue should be able to allow a Cubs lineup that, in general, I'm just taking a look at it, pretty much everyone is not doing a terrific job. Should allow them to be able to get a little bit more online. And then with the Brewers, are you going to be able to continue to get Omir Narvaez going as he's hitting right around a 400? He's been able to do a good job of being able to get the job done recently for this team, but I do think that this is a spot in which the Cubs overall depth in the bullpen is going to be coming through as well, because I think that there's a chance that neither of these guys see the six inning. And for the Brewers, you've got Devin Williams along Josh Hader, a good one-two bunch, but Drew Rasmussen, J.P. Frierson, guys like this are not necessarily too terrific. And then you take a look at what you're able to get on the flip side for this Chicago Cubs team. Dan Winkler is someone that is not good. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about that, but you've also got a guy that I really like in Craig Kimbrell who all of a sudden is looking like the Craig Kimbrell of old. You've been able to get something out of even a guy like a Dylan Maples who has been able to eat some innings for this team. They were able to bring in Andrew Chafin as well. He's been able to give the team some solid innings, so I do think that the Cubs, with regards to overall bullpen depth, have a little bit more here. I do think that both of these offenses are going to be able to get ignited against these starting pitchers as well. So I set this total at 9.3, so I'm going to be taking it over, but I do think that the Cubs are going to be able to get the job done in this spot. I felt like they should have been the slightest of slight favorites here, right around minus 102. So, official New York Post play today is going to be the Cubs money line, and I'm also going to be pairing that with this total over. 909-910 on the betting board. You've got yourself the Washington Nationals taking on the St. Louis Cardinals. John Gant is going to be going for the cards. Meanwhile, Eric Fetty Wap is going to be on the bump for the Washington Nationals. Your total on this game is 8.5. Relatively consistent juice across the board on this one. Over is at minus 120 on the 8.5. Under is even. And if you're taking a look at the Nets, going to be getting them anywhere between plus 120 and plus 126. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay it here with the cards, it's anywhere between minus 130 and minus 140. No question, St. Louis coming off a little bit of a rough weekend against the Milwaukee Brewers. That's putting it very politely. But if there is a way to be able to get on that's against Mr. Eric Fetty Wap. And for the Washington Nationals, I will say the pitching has not necessarily been too terrible. They wound up getting lit up a few days ago against the LA Dodgers. But even you take a look at the loss yesterday, they wound up giving up five hits. You had Max Scherzer going out there, so the bullpen is relatively rested. But when you take a look at this guy, Mr. Eric Fetty Wap, actually had a couple of good starts during the 2019 season. He just really wasn't capable of going much more than five innings. And then last year, the bottom really fell out on him. This is someone that has a little bit 
bit of a command issue, and then once the command issues come in, he then gives up a little bit of hard contact, and then things really balloon out of sorts from there. And then when you take a look at John Gant, this is some of that first career as right around four walks per nine innings. That's a little bit of an issue for the Cardinals, and he looked a little bit out of sorts in his first start since the 2018 season when he wound up going up against the Miami Marlins, but after that first inning, was able to calm down. He was able to do a very solid job. Here's the thing with the St. Louis Cardinals, though. What are you going to be able to trot out there when it comes to the bullpen? Because Daniel Ponce de Leon did not wind up necessarily giving you the world's greatest start yesterday, but as a result, you wind up having to go to a couple more of the long relievers for this team. You are going to have someone like a Giovanni Gallegos, who's going to be available for this team. I like the way that he's been able to come about, and for the St. Louis Cardinals in general, this is a team that they've got a couple guys here doing a good job of being able to get on base. Paul Goldschmidt had a little bit of a rough weekend, but he, Nolan Arenado, and Tommy Edman at the top have been rock solid along the year Molina. Now, Paul DeYoung has been able to give the team a pair of home runs, and Dylan Carlson has three home runs, but both of these guys are hitting a 207 or lower. Austin has actually been a nice piece out there in the infield, so I do like that. And even a guy like a Logan Thomas is able to give you a couple at-bats as well, but then when you take a look at the flip side, which you're going to be able to get out of the Washington Nationals, Juan Soto was able to bust out. He was able to get a couple of home runs in that series against the LA Dodgers, so that you know he's going to be there. Trey Turner down for what? Has had a little bit of a rough start to the year, but you know that he's going to be able to pick it up a little bit as well, but the questions become, what do you get out of a guy like a Andrew Stevenson for this Washington Nationals team? They wound up getting completely blanked yesterday as they don't have a lot of guys other than Juan Soto that are able to drive them in. Now, I will say they did wind up getting back Ryan Zimmerman after he wound up sitting out last season. And for Zimmerman, he's actually looked very good for the team. He's getting a 381, but this is also a team that they don't necessarily draw a lot of walks aside from Victor Robles at the top of the lineup. You've got Jody Mercer, who's been able to do a nice job as well, along with Starling Castro. But it just feels like this is a team that they've got the same issues that they had last year. They get guys on base. They're not able to drive them in. You are backed up by guys like Brad Ann and company. They're able to give you a little bit of something they got there in the bullpen, but you still have the concern that Wander, I swear, this guy sucks winds up coming in, and for the Nationals I just don't expect them to be able to get a lot of length out of Eric Fetty, so I wound up saying the St. Louis Cardinals as about a minus 142 favorite in this spot, so I do think that this is worth a lay here with the St. Louis Cardinals. I wound up saying this sort of a little bit north of 9, so I'm hoping to get a little bit more of an unjuiced 9, but I do think that as long as this comes down to maybe more like a minus 115 on the over, it is going to be a take for me, so we're going to be taking this total over, and I'm going to be laying it with the St. Louis Cardinals. 9-11, 9-12 on the betting board. You've got yourself the San Francisco Giants, or they're going to be taking on the Cincinnati Reds. We are on to Cincinnati, who is on to San Francisco, and Wade Miley is going to be looking to have a party in the USA for the Cincinnati Reds. Meanwhile, Aaron Sanchez is going to be going for the San Francisco Giants. Giants are finding themselves a favorite here. Anywhere between minus 119 and minus 125. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Red Legs is anywhere between plus 105 and plus 112. Your total is 8.5. Under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even a minus 105. Now, both of these gentlemen wound up having nice starts for the year, but I really feel like the wrong team is favored. I would be taking a look at the Cincinnati Reds in this spot. They didn't necessarily have the most savory finish to do that series against the Arizona Diamondbacks, but this is a team that really, aside from the last two days, has been able to muscle up, and they've been able to put bad to ball. They've had five plus runs in all but two of their games so far this season. You've got Nick Cassiano, someone that has been faced with a little bit of a suspension right now. He's still out there performing for the team, though. He, Taylor Naquin, 
are both guys that have four home runs for this team. Now, Eugenio Suarez along with Joey Votto, not necessarily been able to do a great job with batting average, but Suarez still has a 351 on base. He finds a way to be able to get on. Aristides Aquino is someone that's able to pinch it for you as well. And then you just take a look at the catcher spot in general. It's been good for the team. Nick Senzel has been able to give you quite a bit of something. And then when you take a look at the Reds in general, you do have quite a few guys like an Amir Garrett that's able to come in. He's able to give you some nice innings. They did wind up using up Cam Bedrosian yesterday, but even someone like Lucas Sims, if you're needing to get multiple innings because Wade Miley, what he's going to be able to give you is a big giant roll of the dice. You looked very good in his first start of the season, giving up six runs there. And really, both of these guys wound up going five to six innings, giving up one run or fewer. So I do give them a lot of credit, especially with Mr. Sanchez, who wound up having just a tremendously bad losing streak during the 2019 season when he was with the Toronto Blue Jays, showed a little bit of promise while he was with the Astros getting traded during that 2019 campaign and then wound up promptly getting hurt. So that was a little bit of an issue. But then you take a look at the San Francisco Giants as well. This is a bullpen that could be highly inconsistent as well. They looked very good in that series against the Colorado Rockies, but Reyes Moranta is someone that you have a couple of question marks with. I will say Wani Peralta is someone that is solid, and Trevor God is currently not on the roster, so that is something that you're able to get your break with, but with the Giants as well, what was really carrying this team last season was the fact that they were able to do a great job of being able to get on base. So far this year, that has not been the case. Now, San Francisco is a ballpark that it winds up playing a little bit more differently now than rather than during the summertime, but you got to expect that you're going to get a little bit more than just Donovan Solano and Evan Longoria hitting. Both of these guys are above a 300, but Kirk Casale, Brandon Crawford, along with Brandon Belt, Mauricio Dubon, Austin Dickerson, Mike Ustremski, all guys are in a 200 or lower for this team. Darren Ruff has been able to give you a tad bit of something, but that's been a little bit of an issue for this team as well. I do think, though, that both of these starters are going to be able to allow the offenses to get back online for the Reds. It was very good at the beginning of the year, last two games. Not necessarily so terrific for the Giants just in general. I do think that they're going to be able to put some runs up on the board, so I did wind up setting this total at 9, seeing an undue half that appeals to me. I'm going to be taking this total over, and I was willing to honestly lay a little bit of a small price here with the Reds. I just have a little bit more faith in Wade Miley rather than Aron Sanchez. Both of these guys in recent years have not necessarily been at great form, but I think that the Reds have a little bit more depth with their bullpen for one and for two. Wade Miley at the very least pitched last year. <laughs> Aaron Sanchez did not. So we're going to be taking the plus price here with Cincinnati and I am going to be taking this total over as well. And by the way, if you're looking at a run line price, if this winds up flipping to the Reds being a favorite, that's something that would appeal to me. But having to try to look for a reverse run line, that might be a little bit of a chore. But that's something that I I might be taking a look at it as well, that reverse run line. 9-13, 9-14 on the betting board. The Minnesota Twins are going to be taking on the Boston Red Sox. Martin Perez is going to be going for the Boston Red Sox. Meanwhile, J.A. Hepepere is going to be on the bump for the Minnesota Twins. The Twins are finding themselves favorites of anywhere between minus 136 and minus 152. Meanwhile, if you're looking at your plus price here with the Sox, that's anywhere between plus 124 and plus 134. Your total on this game is 9, seeing a straight 9.5 at there as well. With the 9.5, under is minus 120, and the juicy over is even. With the 9, your over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120, and the under is anywhere between even a minus 105. With Martin Perez, he was actually able to be one of the better starters for the Red Sox last year, which that's really sad to say. And hey, for the Red Sox, they did wind up giving up a bunch of runs yesterday, which did deplete the bullpen a little bit, but they've been able to do a much better job after they wind up going on that three-game losing streak to begin the year against the Baltimore Orioles. Six-game win streak, so they are pretty much the hottest team out there in baseball. Meanwhile, they're going to be facing off against the Minnesota Twins team that they wound up yacking away a very big lead against the Seattle Mariners yesterday. Alex Calme has not looked good for this team. 
team that's putting it as about politely as I possibly can. I mean, that was not good. And then you take a look at what you're able to get out of both of these lineups. And for the Red Sox, this is a team that they're starting to mesh. And we know with this with the Minnesota Twins, you're going to be able to get a lot of production out of Nelson Cruz. Hitting above a 300, he's been able to give the team a bunch of home runs. He really should have a little bit better sets than he does right now, but there's no universal DH out there in the National League, so he wound up being benched in those first couple games of the season. But getting back to the Red Sox, Franchi Cordero has actually been able to do a very solid job for this team. He, Christian Vasquez, Xander Bogarts, J.D. Martinez, all hitting at 333 or iron. Rafael Devers has been able to find a little bit of something as well. And oh, by the way, with Martinez, three home runs yesterday. That's something that you like to see. Alex Verdugo got off to a little bit of a rough start to the year. He winds up going deep yesterday. So you've got a lot of guys that are all of a sudden being able to rip the cover off the ball for the Boston Red Sox. Now, what they're going to be supporting him with is going to be a little bit of a question, especially when it comes to the pitching because Phillips Valdez, in my opinion, their best reliever. He had to go 36 pitches yesterday, so he's not going to be out there. Austin Bryce is what someone that wound up getting used up, but let's face it, Austin Bryce, not someone that you're necessarily going to be looking towards. Adam Adovino has a little bit of a rough go of it as well, but I mean, for the Minnesota Twins as well, you've got Tyler Rogers, who's able to do a solid job, and for the Twins as well, Luis Arias, you've got to expect him to be very solid out there in the lineup. I do think that you're going to be able to get some offense in this game because even a guy like Ore Palanco has not been able to get it going along with guys like a Jake Cave, Miguel Sano. They're going to be able to pick it up. Byron Buxton has been absolutely tremendous for the team. Five home runs. Had one yesterday, hitting a 41 with a 548 on base, but you take a look at this game. I do think that this is one in which we are going to be seeing a little bit more of an outage of runs because, keep in mind, it is a little bit cooler out there in the state of Minnesota rather than it is going to be elsewhere, so I do think that it is an important moniker to note in this one, but when I take a look at this, I wound up setting the total at 8.4 and I do think that J.F. is really doing a better job of being able to limit the hard contact. You saw him last season with the New York Yankees. He was able to cut down on that home runs per nine rate. He's always been a guy that has had relatively solid command. I'm not going to go out there and say that this guy is absolutely incredible or anything like that, but being a little bit more of a fly ball pitcher, pitching out there in Minnesota, I think is going to be able to help them out, and I do think that this is a spot in which the Twins should be more like a minus 150-ish favorite. I do think that we're overreacting a little bit to the Red Sox because that Tampa Bay Rays series win was nice, but keep in mind, they did have some airy situations when they were taking on the Baltimore Orioles, one of the worst teams out there in the league. And if you're taking a look at a run line here, I'm seeing at Circa plus 140 with the Minnesota Twins to lay that run and half. That's something that very much does appeal to me. So I'm going to be taking that minus one and a half plus 140 on the Minnesota Twins in this spot. And with setting the total at 8.4, I'm going to be getting this total under as well. 9.15, 9.16 on the bang board. The Baltimore Orioles is going to be playing us to the Seattle Mariners. Justice Sheffield is going to be going for the M's. Meanwhile, Dean Kramer is going to be going for the Baltimore Orioles. If you're looking at the Orioles, you're going to be finding them as a underdog in this spot and a very slight one. You're finding them anywhere between minus 110 and a plus 103. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Mariners, anywhere between minus 110 and minus 114, and your total on this game is 9 over and under anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115, I do think that you're going to get a very good pitching performance here out of Justice Sheffield. I really like the way that he was able come on last season. Now, for the Seattle Mariners, they did have to go quite a bit into their bullpen. Will Vest wound up having to pitch multiple innings yesterday, and Rafael Montero, I believe, has pitched in back-to-back days. He wound up being able to get the save yesterday for the team, so got to figure that he's not going to be available in this one, but for the Mariners, you've even got a guy like Anasim Mishevich who's able to give you a bit of something for Sheffield his first start of the year. Did not necessarily go as planned. He winds up going five innings. He gave up eight hits in the process. That was not necessarily so great, but this is someone that last season was able to be very solid, and for his career has given up less than a home run per nine innings. The walks 
walks have always been a little bit of an issue. He issues right in the neighborhood about three and a half walks per nine innings, but then you take a look at Kremer on the other side. He was able to have a couple nice starts last season, but he winds up coming in first start of the season. He does not necessarily have a go as playing. Goes up against the New York Yankees, gives up in three innings, five total hits, three runs, walked four, command was not there, and in five career starts, he has 16 walks in 21 and two-thirds innings. I do recognize that this is a Seattle Mariners team that they are to have gutted with their lineup, especially with not having Kyle Lewis out there, but Kyle Seager is someone that is still able to put back the ball for this team. You've got guys like Jorge Marmalois, who has not necessarily been too terrific for this bunch. You do have a couple guys like a Jake Fraley, who's also on the injured list, but I take a look at what you're able to get out of the Seattle Mariners, and you do have a couple guys that are still doing a solid job, like Ty France. He's hitting above a 300. Mitch Haniger has come back after rupturing, well, the man area, and he's been able to do a bit of something as well, and then you take a look at what you've been able to get out of Lewis Torrance, and he's hitting a 333 right now, so that's very appealing. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Baltimore Orioles, they were able to generate quite a few runs yesterday, and that's good because this is an Orioles team that they've been doing a solid job of being able to hit for average. They're not necessarily a team that they walk a ton because they are a little bit undisciplined and young at the plate, but you got to feel like Trey Boobo Mancini, Anthony Santander, Ryan Mountcastle, along with Mikel Franco and Rio Ruiz are all guys that are going to be able to up their averages of 230 or lower. Freddie Galvis is off to a rough start to begin the year as well, but Cedric Mullins hitting a 459. He has been really a Red Sox killer. He's been able to come through. He's been able to give this team a little bit of something with the Orioles. This is a bullpen that I would say is not necessarily terrible. They did wind up getting a little bit gutted yesterday, but guys like Cesar Valdez and company are going to be back after they wound up pitching a few days ago, so you are going to have more of the trustworthy arms out there for the Baltimore Orioles. I know that they were using Cole Solzer as their closer last season. That has not been the case this year, so that does hurt them a little bit, but I just think that Justice Sheffield going to be able to give you a little bit more here for the Seattle Mariners, and I feel like with Baltimore, this is a team that they're still struggling a little bit when it comes to being able to drive in those runs. They were able to get quite a few yesterday, but I just fear that their inability to be able to draw walks is really going to hurt them as Justice Sheffield does a good job of being able to keep the ball in the yard. So I did wind up saying this total at 8.4. I'm going to be taking it under. And with the Mariners, felt like they should win more around a minus 127 favorite. So we're going to be taking the Mariners on the money line to go along with this total under 917, 918 on the bank board. A game that myself and Kyle won, depending on a little bit. The New York Yankees are going to be facing off against the Toronto against Dunedin Blue Jays. As the Jays are finding themselves at plus 174, this is a line that is currently only up at Circa. Meanwhile, if the Yankees are a minus 192 favorite, and your total on this game is 9 under, as juice of minus 120, and the over is even. If you're looking at the run line, by the way, Yankees are laying minus 126 on the run line. If you want to take a run in half with the Dunedin Blue Jays, you're getting plus 108, and that's actually something that I think is going to be fascinating, because with the Yankees, if you're able to get more around minus 115 juice on the run line, that's something that I am going to be taking a look at. I'll tell you right now, on this line, if I really, really had to play this line and this line only, I made the Blue Jays plus 176. So on this line and this line only, I would be taking the Blue Jays. Anything above plus 175 is going to be a take on me for them. I'm going to be continuing to shop around personally. And with making this total at 8.8, a little bit more of an AC situation, I'd be looking at a little bit more of an 8.5 and looking to go over there. But with Robbie Ray, we were mentioning it with our good buddy Kyle. This is someone that he is very sporadic. 
sporadic when it comes to the walks for his career, giving up over five walks per nine innings, but he also has good swing and miss stuff, getting over 10 strikeouts per nine innings throughout his career. We all know about Garrett Cole. This is someone that is absolutely tremendous, but he had a little bit of an issue giving up the long ball last season. He did have a couple trials and tribulations against the Blue Jays. He also had some very good starts against them as well, so he is someone that he's had his best of times and he's had his worst of times in these spots, but I do take a look at this one. I do think the ball is going to be flying a little bit more, and with the New York Yankees, they were able to get online yesterday. You did see Gio Urshela doing a nice job for this team. You got to figure that guys like Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Sand, whenever they're out there, because they are dealing with a couple of injuries that they're all going to be able to perform, and they're going to be able to perform quite well. Heck, even Gary Sanchez, someone that we mentioned a little bit earlier, he's been able to do a solid job. And for the Dunedin Blue Jays, they got rained out yesterday, which means that they are going to have their full complement of bullpen pieces. Meanwhile, the Yankees had to go to extra innings yesterday, so that is something that's going to affect them, because Araldis Chapman, unlikely going to be out there in the fold for this evening. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Blue Jays, guys like Rafael Dolis, Julian Merriweather and company, they are going to be out there, and they are going to be available. And when you take a look at this Blue Jays team, it looks like Teoscar Hernandez is probably going to be out of this one due to injury, so that is going to hurt the team, but you still have quite a few guys, like a Boba Shed, Vlad Guerrero Jr., off to a very nice start to the year, that are able to match for this team, and with the Blue Jays as well. What I think is going to be so critical is just being able to get guys on base in general. Lords Guriel has gotten off to a little bit of a rough start to the year. You wonder if there's maybe a little bit of an injury concern with that regard, but when you take a look at the Blue Jays and what you've been able to get out of Randall Gritchick, that has been good. He's been able to hit a 344. Marcus Simeon hasn't necessarily been able to get on base, but he has been able to give the team three home runs as well. Someone like a Rowdy Tellez is right now 0 for the century. 0 for 21. You got to figure that he's going to be able to do a little bit of a better job. So with the line that we're currently seeing at Circa, I would be taking the plus price here with the Toronto Blue Jays. I'd probably wind up taking that 9 over. I set this total at 8.8, but I would need the minus 110 juice there, getting the unjuiced 9 slash a little bit of a plus price. That would be tad bit more appealing to me. I'm going to be holding out for an 8 personally, so that's where I stand right now. Anything above a, I would say, plus 175-ish is going to be a take for me for the Dunedin, aka Toronto Blue Jays, and we should be seeing more numbers in the morning on this as well. 919, 920 on the bang board. You have the Tampa Bay Rays, and they're going to be taking on the Walker, Texas Rangers. Dane Gitter Dunning is going to be taking the bump for the Rangers. Meanwhile, Tyler Glasso is going to be going for the Tampa Bay Rays. Rays are a sizable favorite here. Anywhere between minus 225 and minus 242. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Rangers. That is anywhere between plus 191, seeing as I is plus 218. Your total on scheme is 7.5 over and under. Abuse of minus 105 to minus 115. I actually do like Dane Dunning. He's really the only trustworthy starter that the Texas Rangers have. And for the Rangers, they started out the year so hot with their offense. It just did not wind up coming to the forefront against the San Diego Padres. Now, the Padres bullpen has an ERA of like 1 right now. It's absolutely ridiculous, but you gotta feel like the Rangers are gonna be able to get a little bit more online in the spot with Glasnow. He was one of the top players with regards to strikeouts per nine innings last season, but he is a guy that he can sometimes give up a little bit of our contact. Sometimes command is lacking. He's been able to get off to a very nice start this season, and we know this with the Tampa Bay Rays. They themselves have a very nice bullpen, but you take a look at so many of these performers for the Texas Rangers. Isaiah Kinnear-Falefa has been able to give the team right around a 265 batting average. David Dahl, Nate Lowe, Nick Solak, they've all fallen back to earth a little bit, but Jose Trevino doing a good job of being a reach base as the Rangers, as a team, have right around a 302 on base, 229 batting average, but you have been able to get low for 14 RBI, so he's been able to come through with that regard. Now the strikeouts are starting to pile up for the Texas 
Texas Rangers. A little bit over 10 punch-outs per nine games, so they need to be shoring that up a little bit. And with the Rays, they're a team that they themselves do strike out quite a bit, but Austin Meadows has been able to give you a couple of runs so far this year. He's been able to do a good job in the middle of the lineup. You've got a guy that I really like, Joey Wendell, who's been able to perform as well. Now with the Tampa Bay Rays, they wanted to depleting their bullpen a little bit because they did wind up having to go to extra innings against the New York Yankees yesterday, but I do like what I'm seeing out of Randy Orozarena as well. He winds up getting his second home run of the season yesterday. William Adamas, Brandon Lau, Yoshi Satsugo. Other than Satsugo, I would say that all of those guys should be able to get a little bit more online. They should be able to hit a tad bit more. Mike Zanino being able to get a home run yesterday is something nice for the team as well, but I take a look at this one with the Texas Rangers. Really hard to trust in this bullpen, West Benjamin. Their long reliever wound up getting used up a couple days ago. They're going to be relying upon guys like Ian Kennedy and company, but this is also a line that I feel like it's gotten a little bit too lofty. Anything above about a plus 160, I was willing to take the Texas Rangers. Seeing them at a little bit north of $2, that is something that I do think it's worth taking a shot on just because of the number and the number alone. And when you take a look at this total at 7.5, I want setting it at 7.8 because with the Rangers I do think that they're going to be able to give up a couple runs out of the bullpen. I do think that with Glasnow having a little bit of a walks issue hasn't necessarily come to the forefront this year but I do think that it could rear its ugly head. That could be a little bit of an issue as you take a look at Glasnow. 15 punch outs in 12 innings so far this year. It's been tremendous but I do think that the Rangers are going to be able to manufacture a little bit of something off of them. So we're going to be taking this total over and I'm going to be taking the plus price here with the Rangers. 921-922 on the betting board. You've got the White Sox and they're going to be taking on the Cleveland Indians. For the Indians, you've got Tristan McKenzie going to the mound. Meanwhile, Carlos Rodon is going to be going for the White Sox. White Sox are finding themselves as favorites anywhere between minus 126 and minus 142. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Indians is anywhere between plus 116 and plus 122. And your total on this game is 8.5. Over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even at minus 105. With McKenzie, he was able to give the team some very solid starts last season as he wound up being a little bit of someone that had to contribute when Mike Clevenger wound up getting traded and he was able to do so also well. Meanwhile, you take a look at the flip side and what you're going to be able to get out of Carlos Rodon. Had a nice start to begin the year, but I still have my question marks with him because he was actually coming out of the bullpen a little bit last season. Two years ago, prior to him getting hurt, he just did not wind up looking right as well. So that is going to be a little bit of an issue as well. And then with the Cleveland Indians, you figured that this team was going to be able to get online a little bit more with their hitting. This is not going to be like a top five offense or anything like that, but I do expect Eddie Rosario to be able to pick it up after he was signed in the offseason. Coming over from the Minnesota Twins, you do still have a guy in Jose Ramirez who was one of the top performers in all baseball last season. He's hitting a 300, so he's back to his old race. Framiel Reyes has been able to do a nice job. He's been able to hit a couple of home runs. He's now hitting a 333. Heck, even Amit Rosario, who came over in that trade for Francisco Lindor, he's been able to do a good job. And I do expect Cesar Hernandez, Andre Jimenez, even a guy like a Yu Chang, we're all hitting a 220 or lower to be able to pick things up a little bit. And then when you take a look at the White Sox, they are still missing Eloy Jimenez. That is showing through a little bit. Now, Yerman Mercedes off to one of the greatest starts that we've ever seen for a player. But with the White Sox, they did wind up depleting their bullpen a little bit yesterday. Meanwhile, the Cleveland Indians, just throughout their series against the Detroit Tigers in general, they were able to preserve their bullpen because they were getting good start after good start. And when you take a look at the Indians, guys like James Karinchek, Phil Mayton, heck, you even take a look at someone like an Oliver Perez. All these guys are able to come in. They're all going to be able to give you some professional innings. I do think that McKenzie, even though he is someone that wound up getting a little bit more touched up towards the back half last season, he's got good electrifying stuff. He has shown the ability to be able to go six innings, 
in the MLB and with having someone like a Michael Kopech not able to go in this one, having some significant issues with Carlos Rodon because you're now going to need to probably trot out there Evan Marshall for a couple innings. I would not be surprised if you wind up looking to other guys as well because Liam Hendricks wound up getting used up yesterday. That's a little bit of an issue. So now you're going to have to look to maybe more like a Cody Hewer as well that it is going to put them a little bit behind the eight ball. I pretty much made this anything above a plus 116 would be a take on the Indians for me. I'm seeing a lot of plus 118, even north of plus 120, so I'm going to be taking this total over. And when it comes to this total, I want setting it personally at 8.2. I feel like it's a little bit too lofty, so I'm going to be taking the under, and I'm going to be taking the plus price here with the Indians. 923-924 on the betting board is the Kansas City Royals playing out the LA Angels. Alex Cobb is going to be going for the Angels. Meanwhile, Brady Singer for the Royals. If you're looking at the Royals, that is anywhere between minus 103, and I'm also seeing as high as a plus 110. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Angels, this is anywhere between minus 107 and minus 130. So you've got a wide range of numbers. I do think that a lot of this is because Alex Cobb was not expected to start in this one. It was expected to be Odell and Bundy. So we're going to be seeing this line move around quite a bit. And your total on this game is 9. The over and under are anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115 at this point. And we're probably going to be seeing a lot of line movement on because there was a little bit of undecisiveness when it came to the start, to say the least, but here's where I stand right now. I'm willing to lay up to minus 108 with the Angels, so seeing the minus 107 that is out there at Circa, that would be a take for me on the Angels. If you're seeing the plus price here with the Royals, that's something that I'd be taking a look at as well, as long as you're getting pretty much a plus 110 or greater, which I'm actually seeing a plus 110 currently at a couple offshore books, so you've really got your pick your poison situation here. I'm going to be going with a plus 110 that I'm currently seeing on the Royals personally, but that's just my decision because with Brady Singer you want to have a rough start to begin the year. No ifs, ands, or buts about it but I really like what I saw out of him last season. He has a little bit north of a three walks per nine innings career rate which is a tad bit high but nine home runs at 67 and two thirds innings and 66 strikeouts that's not necessarily too bad and then when you take a look at the flip side and what you're able to get out of Alex Cobb he had a little bit north of a four ERA last season but he's never really been too much of a swing and miss guy. Now for the Kansas City Royals this is a team that they had to go deep in their bullpen. Jesse Hahn wound up giving up a home run yesterday. Greg Holland had to come out of the bullpen. I believe that Scott Barlow is not going to be available in this game. And for the Angels, a little bit of advantage for this team is that they're going to be very well rested. But I'm just not sold on Rossio Iglesias. He had a nice stint against the Toronto Blue Jays a couple days ago, which he was able to strike out the side. But by and large, he has been a little bit rough for this team with the Angels as well. We saw it two nights ago where they got completely shelled. Jaime Barilla, the long guy, is not going to be available. Now, you do have a guy like an Aaron Slagers who's able to do a solid job for this team. You've got Tony Watson is going to be available out of the bullpen as well. So you got a little bit of something there. And then when you take a look at the Angels in general, you do have a couple guys that are able to match that aren't named Mike Trout. How about Jared Walsh along Shohei Otani? Both giving the team three home runs thus far. As a collective, the Angels hitting about a 248 as a collective. Now, they are going to be without Dexter Fowler for the rest of the season. Albert Pujols is anxious. I'm expecting nothing out of him. Whenever Max Sassy has been out there, though, he's been relatively solid. Jose Iglesias along David Fletcher. They need to pick it up in the infield. And I think that Fletcher is going to be able to get on base a little bit more than the 205 batting average of 244 on base. Not really any faith here at Jose Iglesias. Meanwhile, you take a look at what you're able to get out of the Kansas City Royals. They wound up getting caught stealing a couple times, which was a bit of an issue, but you still have a guy in Whit Merrifield who's able to consistently hit a 300. He's able to consistently leave the yard. You also have Ore Soler, who I don't know if he's ever going to recapture the magic of a couple years ago from hitting 49 home runs, but he's able to do something under Dozier. He's off to a little bit of a rough start to the year. I think that he's going to be able to pick it up. I just take a look at the bullpen in general. It does lead me to liking the Kansas City Royals a little bit more with a plus price rather than laying
laying a number here with the Angels. I wound up setting this total at 8.6. So I do think that both of these starters are going to be able to come in. They're going to be able to do a relatively rock solid job. Keep in mind that this is Kansas City in mid-April, so it's going to be a little bit cooler out there. So I'm going to be taking this total under, and I'm going to be taking the plus price here with the Royals. Like I said, at minus 108 or lower, I'd be starting to take a look at the Angels. So that's sort of my threshold there since I am seeing quite a few numbers that are moving and shaking. 925, 926 on the banking board. The Detroit Tigres are going to be in the road to face off against the Houston Astros. Zach Greinke is going to be going for the Strohs. Meanwhile, Casey Mines is on the buff for the Detroit Tigers. Tigers are finding themselves as one of the bigger sizable underdogs out there on the board today. Anywhere between plus 199 and plus 205. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Astros, finding them anywhere between minus 220 and minus 240 and your total on this game is 8.5. With the 8.5 overs anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120 unders anywhere between even a minus 110. For Mize, I do like that he has some very electrifying stuff. Has not necessarily been able to figure it all out as a pitcher, but I do think that he's going to be able to come in, and he's going to be able to do a serviceable job. You take a look at his first start of the campaign, he wasn't necessarily able to give the team a whole bunch of length, but at the same time, he was able to get four strikeouts, went four innings, got in a little bit of trouble with a pair of walks and five hits, but gave up just one run in the process, and the Tigers were able to get the win. Now with the Tigers, the bullpen has been a little bit of a hot mess. Puck Farmer has not necessarily been too terrific for this team. You've got a guy in Gregory Soto who I actually do like being able to give this team some innings, and if needed, Michael Fulmer is able to give you a couple of innings as well. And then you take a look at Zach Greinke. He's just not the strikeout pitcher that he used to be. So far, so good for him on this young season. But I do have my question marks here because he did wind up having a long stretch last season in which he wound up giving up three plus runs and I believe six straight starts. So that's a little bit of an issue. And then when you take a look at the Astros as well, this is a bunch that they are going to have their bullpen well rested because they and the Oakland A's were the only two teams that were off yesterday. So guys like Brooks, Rayleigh, and company are going to be able to have a little bit more rest. Inoli Paredes is someone that I like coming out of the bullpen as well, but for the Detroit Tigers, this is an offense that all of a sudden has been able to get online, and they've been able to give you a little bit of something. They had a little bit of a tough time against the Cleveland Indians, but let's face it, Indians have one of the best pitching staffs out there in baseball, and with the Tigers, you're going to be without Miguel Cabrera for quite a while, but it's not like he was doing much for the team anyway, so I actually feel like it's a little bit of an addition by subtraction because you do have a guy that I'd like to know, Mazzaro, I think is going to be able to pick it up. Hitting just a 214, Jonathan Scope, along Jacoby Jones. They've had a little bit of a tough start to begin the year, but Akil Badu, whenever he's been out there, he's been terrific. Two home runs, a walk-off hit. You like to see that. Nico Goodrum seems to be picking up a little bit more along Jameer Candelario. Wilson Ramos has been able to give the team a quadrant of home runs so far this year, so he's been able to do a nice job on that front. Meanwhile, I take a look at the Houston Astros. This is a team that they've been able to find out with their offense. Jose Altuve looks like the Jose Altuve of old. Michael Brantley has been a little bit banged up so far this season, but whenever he's been out there, he's been solid. You've got Alex Bregman, who traditionally gets off to rough starts. He has been able to do a nice job as well, but I do feel like this is a number that has gotten up a little bit too lofty. I was willing to lay up to minus 175 here with the Astros, especially with having some bullpen concerns with this team, so this is a spot in which I'm going to be taking the over, and I wound up setting this total at 8.8. I'm seeing a little bit more of a fair juice on the 8.5 here, so I'm going to wind up taking this total over, and I'm going to wind up taking the plus race here with the Tigers, and we wrap things up with 927-928 on the main board. The Arizona Diamondbacks are going to be taking on the Oakland A's. Chris Bassett looks to have you hook, line, and sinker for the A's. Meanwhile, it is Madison Bumgarner who's going to go for the Arizona Diamondbacks. John's game is anywhere between 9.5 and, and 10 on the 9.5. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even a minus 110. Meanwhile, on the 10, the under is just minus 115, and the over is minus 105. With Bassett, he has had a little bit of an issue giving up home runs in recent years, and he's a pitcher that all of a sudden has become decent, not necessarily great, not necessarily terrible, and Madison Bumgarner is just a fade at this point of his career. 
Ever since he's gotten to Arizona, he's had an ERA that has been hovering right in the neighborhood of about seven. He's giving up three home runs per nine innings. He's got a whip of a 222 so far this season. He's walking way too many guys. It has just been an absolutely terrible ride for him. And for this Arizona Diamondbacks team, you give them credit as they're going to have a little bit more of a rested bullpen because they wound up actually getting some very good starts the last couple days in some unlikely places. So that is good, but they're going to be needing long guys to be able to come through like an Alex Young because, let's face it, this is an Arizona Diamondbacks team that you can't expect much more than four innings out of our good buddy Madison Bumgarner. So guys like Juan Lopez are going to be on call, Kevin Ginkle. And with the Arizona Diamondbacks, you do have a couple guys that are able to get on base for this team. Eduardo Escobar has been able to give the team four home runs and a little bit of a rough start to begin the year. All of a sudden, he's been able to get online. Now, the Marte Parte has been terrific for this team, but he wound up being off the last couple days, so that's going to limit their offense. Carson Kelly, though, he's hitting a 444. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Josh Van Meter and Tim LeCastro at the top of the lineup as well. And even a guy like Pavin Smith is hitting a 250, but this is a team that in general doesn't necessarily walk a lot. Then you take a look at the flip side, which you're going to be able to get out of the Oakland A's and certainly was a very rough start to begin the year, but you figured at some point this is a team that was going to be able to get online a little bit more with the Oakland A's. They have always been just a little bit more of an all-or-nothing team. The Mets, Matt Olson, Matt Chapman last year, they just weren't tremendous with their batting average, but for Olson was one of the better home run hitters out there in baseball. I do think that you're going to be able to get this bullpen going a little bit more as well for the Oakland A's as you still have Yasmero Petit out there. Now they bring in some Mergio Romo. That's someone that I necessarily do not feel the urge to want to be trusting in anytime soon, but you even take a look at some of the other guys for the Oakland A's when it comes to the lineup. Mark Canna, nearly a 400 on base. Jed Lowry has come in. He's actually been solid. 294 batting average, 368 on base. He's already got a home run. That's solid. And for the Oakland A's, eight home runs so far this year. You got to figure that the power numbers are going to be upgrading. Ramon Laureano has been able to get on base. And at some point, Elvis is going to enter into the building. Buck 14 batting average for Elvis Andrews. That has been terrible. Mitch Moreland sitting a buck 67. I do think that these guys are going to be able to get going against Madison Baumgartner, who has just become one of the biggest fades out there in baseball. I want to say this total at 9.1, though, because I do think that the Diamondbacks are going to be able to get a little bit of something out of their bullpen. And with the Oakland A's, I do think that they are going to be able to get a solid start out of Chris Bassett, and they themselves are going to be able to hold down a Arizona Diamondbacks team that has been without Marte the last couple of days, and they themselves have had their offensive woes. So I'm going to be taking the Oakland A's. I'm willing to take up to minus 148 with them, and I'm going to be taking this total under. And that wraps things up for the Monday edition of the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson, a big thanks to Kyle Condor of John Boy Media for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Baseball Betting Podcast, you're able to subscribe over your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you ever have a question for the podcast, you've got one or two ways to be able to fire those in. My Twitter timeline, at JarrisCordy1. Keep in mind those letters, TM, they mean does not matter. Other ways, via an Apple Podcast review, it certainly does support all that I do. And then from there, you're able to send in your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you. Always appreciate talking at you guys. I will do so once again tomorrow. It's great to have baseball back, and it's great to have you guys listening. Thank you so much for tuning in.